All right, Rob, this was awful getting through like all those crazed like people out there, but we finally made it to this cathedral. And you're 100% sure that this is where this nude vampire chick is, right? I'm totally positive. Like we share a connection that nobody on this earth can understand. I mean, our love is boundless. I'd feel better about your statement if you hadn't said that about like the past three girls you've dated. Mm, maybe, yeah. Well, okay. But anyway, so I've got this sword and we got to find this chick because this is looking really bad out there and I don't want this to spread like to the States. I mean, I don't want the world to end really. I, I kind of like it here. Yeah, I'm okay with things too. Yeah. Um, so we got to find her and we got to find her fast. Um, she just should be behind those doors and then we got to walk through the little catacombs a bit and she's behind a gate. So, you know, she's pretty hard to miss. I mean, she's naked. Okay, well, you lead the way, and I'm, I got your back here. Okay, bud? Okay. All right. So now, now are you sure there's not going to be the two nude veil, male vampires here as well? I know you're hoping for that, but uh, I think they were guarding the front. Yeah, I know. Okay, whatever. All right. <laughs> Maybe there's a third we don't know about yet. There could be. You never know. Yeah, I'll keep my eyes peeled for that one. Um, yeah. So are you feeling like any more vibes from this chick? Are we getting closer? Yeah, it's it's getting stronger. I mean, okay, I, I can feel it in areas that I'd rather not talk about, but yeah. All right, okay, okay, all right. So this is really creepy down here. What's that? Oh, there it is. There's the strange blue light. We're, we're almost there. Ooh. All right. I wish I brought sunglasses. Okay. So we we're definitely in the right zone. Okay, so, Rob, wait, Rob. Okay, now, I turned my back for a minute. You're completely undressed. How did you do that quick? And you're up there with her. Mm. Mm. This is so, Rob, This I shouldn't mm. be seeing any of this at all. Oh, okay, so, Rob, I got the sword. What do you want me to do, dude? Give it to me. Uh-oh, uh, here goes nothing. Ah, ah. I'm doing this for humanity oh they watched they waited now their time has come out of the depths of space the ultimate terror moving searching destroying from body to body from life to life from man to woman changing growing burning for our life force of Poltergeist, from the special effects creator of Star Trek, the motion picture, Life Force. In the blink of an eye, the terror begins. All right, Midnight Mass Creature Cast fans, we're back once again. Judging from that trailer, you have joined us for Toby Hooper's 1984 film, Life Force. I, of course, am Mark, always joined by the incredibly awesome 
I'm Bobby, but you can call me Captain Carlson today. <laughs> and then I will, of course, be um, the nude vampire number one. <laughs> the nude vampire without a name. Just well, I see. Yeah, you're, you're in character, <laughs> most definitely. Right, exactly. I'm kind of sticking to my chair, but I'll get used to it. You know, a nude vampire's <laughs> got to do what a nude vampire's got to do. <laughs> yeah. And do you have those uh, swirly contacts in your eyes? I can't really see that. I do, and it's going to make it hard to read the notes, but I'll do the best I can. Okay. Well, they're in Braille for you if you need them. So, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You've always got my back. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, Rob. Okay, so now this was your pick, which I'm fine with because I love this film. Um, when was the first time you saw it? Wow, that's a tough one. Okay. Because <clears throat> I know I didn't see it when I was younger, like a little kid younger, but I think I saw it maybe in the late 90s was the very first time. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so, so on yeah, video or on cable, you think? Definitely. I believe it was cable. I don't think it was okay. on video. Um, I was over a friend's house and there was a sci-fi movie I had never seen and it looked amazing and it had like, you know, all those cool effects. And I didn't know at the time what it was called, but then, um, when I looked it up again, I found out it was called life force and I was like, Holy crap, this is an awesome film. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's probably awesome too. I actually caught this on first run when it came out in 85, loved it then. Um, and then like it, immediately once we got our vcr uh i bought the the uh the vhs for it and i remember distinctly so in the film the first victim that our female attacks the guard mm -hmm. she sucks okay so once his like essence has been sucked out the way he looks that like you know, not creature, I guess, because he's a man still, but his his design with all of his life essence sucked out of him. That uh, image was on the cover of one of the Fangoria issues. And I remember that was really cool. I oh, thought, too, because awesome. I love the movie and I love the magazine. Yeah. And um, didn't he look like um, from Return of the Living Dead, like one of those. Thank you. Yeah. Exactly. One of those dead yeah. people there. Yeah. I was going to bring it up with the, the lady in particular. Later oh. on in the film, there's the one lady and she totally reminds me of the female a zombie they bring in from Return yeah. of the Living Dead. But yeah, I'm right there with you, my friend. And did you see their attention to detail on the on the lady corpse where actually the carpet matched the drapes? <laughs> I did notice that. <laughs> and I did notice that. I think yeah. that was like, because that's not a real person there. And so they, no, they yeah, were no. making that, they were making <laughs> that corpse and they just like pasted a patch of hair there. <laughs> <laughs> I did notice that. Oh, yes, man. I did. I was I like, did. now that that's what you call attention to detail, right? It, there. That is, that is attention to detail. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's pretty much probably going to be downhill from there. I'm imagining with this conversation. <laughs> uh, so the film was directed by Toby Hooper, who I love. I love him so much. Um, now he brought us the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one and two from '74 and '86. He was also behind Poltergeist 82 with Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Um, he did the amazing Eaten Alive from 76, which I love. And then we've covered the Funhouse already from 81. Yeah. And he also did, I'm going to plug this because I want more people to see this. His movie, the his, it's just Toolbox Murders from 2004. I love it. It's got uh, Sherry Moon Zombie in it very briefly. But that's our director. 
Now, the book that this was based on is called The Space Vampires. It was written by Colin Wilson. And I want to read that book. Okay, but there's one more thing I want to talk about. It's a movie called The Rift. Have you seen this? No, I don't think I okay, have. Okay, so it's it's from 90, and he was a writer, but he was uncredited on that. We may want to cover it like way down the line because it's not the best movie, but it's kind of got some cool lower budget practical effects. Um, it's about this crew that get trapped in this like weird toxic seaweed. And then it kind of wreaks havoc on the crew and the ship and everything. But it's called The Rift from 90. Um, hmm. So if anyone's out out there listening that likes those kind of like low budget creature special effect movies, you might want to give that one a watch. Now, so that was the book it was based on, The Space Vampires. The writers on the film, it, it was a duo, and we've talked about them before, actually. Dan O'Bannon who we know from alien mm, our good buddy, Dan O'Bannon. Mm-hmm. Um, we've covered a couple of his films too: dead and buried and return living dead. <laughs> yeah. He also worked on total recall. Now our other writer was Don or Dan. No, Don, I'm sorry. Dan O'Bannon, Don Jacoby. The two of them worked on invaders from Mars, which was another Toby Hooper film. My goodness. Mr. Yeah, Mr. Jacoby also worked on Arachnophobia. Did you ever see that one with oh, John Goodman? Oh, I love Arachnophobia. Okay. And then another one that you and I have talked about already, John Carpenter's Vampires. He was a writer on that. Um, and then Evolution, which I think you and I, we didn't do a show about it, but we briefly talked about it with David Duchovny oh, from 2001. Yes. Another great movie. I mean, uh, Arachnophobia and Evolution are probably two of my favorites where it's like they do that they have that perfect mix of like comedic timing along with the the creature horror as well as like spiders because i do not like spiders oh i did not know that about you yeah i had um ah a, well i'm getting over it but i used to have severe ptsd with spiders because when i was a kid on one of our many trips to maine um, we stopped in a field cause I had to go to the bathroom and I brought back a whole colony of spiders. Wait, how did this happen? I was walking through a field, I guess. And, um, it must've been that time when the spiders were having babies. And so that there was like spiders crawling all over me. <laughs> and I'm oh, just like, okay. I just remember a never ending wave of spiders just crawling everywhere. And it was horrifying. So... <laughs> This is a little side story. Uh, Back when I was married the first time, my wife at the time had decided that for Halloween, she wanted like, like hay bushels, like, you know how they're like packed in like rectangular like things and they're tied with ropes. Oh, yeah. Okay. And um, so we found someone that would sell them and it was fall, of course, because it's October and we loaded them in the car and we're driving home and my son was much younger, Tyler, and he was in the back seat and we just hear him going spiders, spiders, spiders. And the hay was infested with spiders that were like dormant because it was cold where they were. But once they got in the car with the heat, they just came alive and there were spiders. It looked like a horror movie. There were spiders (laughs) all over the car, like all over the car and we uh, we pulled over we pulled the bushels out and just threw them away and there we just couldn't get rid of them they were just all over that car for like 
I'd seen like months afterwards, but that was pretty horrifying. Wow. But yeah, that's our spider story. So was, uh, was he, um, scarred for life after that too? No, oddly, Tyler's always really been into bugs. Like he oh, had a tarantula okay. for a while and he's a big insect kid. Yeah. <laughs> or per- person. I say kid. He's like 35. <laughs> he's my kid. He's my big kid. But yeah. yeah. Um, now, just real quick, the music in this one was done by Henry Mancini. Oh, I've heard that name. I love Henry Mancini because he's done a lot of stuff that I enjoyed as a youngster because it was on TV. So like he did and uncredited, sadly, but he did the music for Abbott and Costello meet the mummy, this Island earth tarantula. (laughs) Those are all like from the 50s, all like 55 actually, to be exact. Oh, I've seen the Abbott and Costello one. um, And I haven't seen this Island earth though. Okay. Did you see tarantula from 55? No, I didn't see that one. All right. Um, that will scar you, I'm sure. And then now I've got to talk about this one because I I, I love Bruce Willis and it has Dirty Kim Basinger in it. <laughs> it was called Blind Date. Did you ever see that one? It sounds familiar, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay. That's the movie that Madonna was originally offered and she turned it down to do Who's That Girl? Now I did see Who's That Girl. Yeah, she turned that down and it ended up like basically being a huge hit for Kim Basinger. Like it kind of put her like on the map kind of thing, which I thought was interesting. But anyway, um, so I'm just going to shoot through the actors really quick, if that's okay. And we're just done and we'll move on if you don't care. Yeah, no problem. All right. So um, our Colonel Tom Carlson, which is our astronaut that actually comes back to Earth with these space vampires, is Steve Railsback. Now, I don't remember that name. Okay, so for me, as a kid, like I was born in 67. So the 70s, like the whole Manson thing, I kind of that I kind of remember that. And there was a TV movie about him called Helter Skelter. Okay, I did see that movie. He's Charles Manson in the movie. Oh, no shit. Yes, totally. Well, in 82, he also did Turkey Shoot and Trick or Treats which I like both of those movies. It's not the rock and roll trick or treat though. It's trick or treats. Ah, uh, see, I um, love trick or treat, you know, <laughs> and yeah. Oh yeah. Who does not? I think we should do all of those, those like rock horror ones, because I think we, cause most of them are like demons and things like that. I think we should do. Yeah. I'm totally down for that. Cool. All right. Now this, I think is a sign from the Godzilla's. <laughs> he was in blue monkey from 87. Oh, and that's the one we're planning on doing uh, in the coming months. Yes, we definitely need to do it. That's a sign. He also, in 91, did two films of mention. He did Scissors, where he plays twins with uh, Sharon Stone. It was one of her first movies. But also he did Alligator 2, The Mutation. Uh, Yeah, I didn't see it. I saw the first Alligator, but not the second. Okay, all right. And then he did an X-Files, two episodes as Dwayne Barry in 1994. And then I want to end on this one because I think it's a perfect like bookend to what we started with. So in 76, he played Charles Manson in Helter Skelter. In the year 2000, he played Ed Gein in the movie Ed Gein. And of course, that's what the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is loosely based on. <laughs> now is OK. Is that the um, now I did see the movie and I might be mashing things up because, you know, a lot of it goes into like the Hannibal Lecter film too with uh, Buffalo Bill. 
And so mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure, but I think I did see the Ed Gein movie mm-hmm. where he's um, wearing he's wearing the woman's skin, right? They've done a lot of them. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. um, I might have yeah. seen it. I don't know. I confuse a lot of stuff. So, Like another one was uh, Deranged that they based on Ed Gein. That one was the um, uh, Alan Ormsby was involved with that. He's the one who did Children Should Play With Dead Things. Hmm. Uh, they did. Uh, Ed Gein has been a lot of uh, fodder for films for sure because he's just so weird and creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now, um, our female vampire um, is played by. Is it Mathilda? Uh, I just because say Matilda. A, so okay, because there's an H in there. So I think I suspect it might be Mathilda. Maybe um, yeah. a Mathilda May. I have no films other than this one that I was familiar with her at all. Yeah. Um, I think this is the only one that I've seen her in actually. And uh, amazingly enough, she had to learn her lines phonetically because she did not know how to speak English. Um, and then in the six months time that she spent in England, she learned how to speak English, which is pretty damn amazing. Is she French? Um, yes, I believe so. Okay. Cause I noticed when I was looking, cause I always go back and like, look at their filmography to see if I know anything. It seemed like the majority of her films were actually French films. Oh, oh, that's probably why. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well, she didn't have that many actual spoken lines really. No, I think she spent a total of, uh, what was it? Like five minutes, um, on screen time, like from all the, okay. She only has seven minutes of screen time in the, in the entirety of the film. Wow. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> really? So, okay. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of she the makes film... an impact with those seven minutes. Oh yeah, she does. Yeah. Cause yeah. I wow. mean, let's face it. She began the film, uh, totally nude. So. Right. As did I, but I was in the theater. <laughs> I was asked to leave. Uh. You were there with Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> oh, Pee Wee. Paul Rubin. Um, and then I did not write down the other two. I really tried to do just people that would like have a filmography. The other two male vampires, they really didn't do much. So I didn't even mention the actors names. So <laughs> the next one I have is Colonel Kane. Um, and he's the one that is uh, the investigator in, into all of this madness. And that's Peter Firth. Okay, so the he's only- the one who teams up with Steve Rails back, right? Exactly, correct. Okay. Exactly. Uh, the only two films I know of his is Equus from uh, uh, 77, which it was based on a play. I find it amazing. It's a very intriguing. It may not be everyone's cup of tea, but I really enjoyed it. And then he was in Mighty Joe Young from 98, the uh, big gorilla movie. Okay, I think I've seen Mighty Joe Young, but not the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, Equus, I highly recommend to people who are into not necessarily horror films, but just films in general. It's very interesting. It was a play first. I don't know if I said that already, but it's very interesting. Then we have Dr. Bukowski, and that's Michael Gothard. Oh, I also want to say this is a uh, it was filmed in in, in um, Britain, England. So the majority of these uh, thespians are British actors. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's Michael uh, Gothard. This gentleman, I would love to have his filmography. Like as an actor, I would have died a happy camper if I would have done all these films. He was in Scream and Scream Again from 1970. That one had the horror trifecta. Vincent Price, Christopher Lee, and Peter Cushing were in that one. I I love all three of those gentlemen. Um, 
Then he would later move on to do Ken Russell's The Devils with Oliver Reed in 71. He would later work with Shelley Winters, who I love, and whoever slew Auntie Rue from 72. He would then work with Doug McClure from Warlords of the Deep in 78. And he was even in a Bond film for Your Eyes Only in uh, 81. Not Alec Baldwin. It was Roger Moore. <laughs> not uh, not Pierce Brosnan, not Alec Baldwin. No, yeah, no, none of those people. <laughs> not Michael Douglas. Right, exactly, exactly. Uh, and then Dr. Faladay, he's the gentleman with the gray hair. Yeah. In the film. Okay, that's Frank Finlay. And, and he was in A Study in Terror from 65 and also in Murder by Decree. Those are two Sherlock Holmes films where he played Inspector Lestrade. Um, okay. And then I also know him from The Deadly Bees in 66 and Twisted Nerve in 68. So did he do anything? in? All right. So his voice, I mean, it's probably not the guy, but his voice sounds exactly like that doctor in uh, the Ben Affleck movie Phantoms. And I was like, I kept drawing connections and I'm like, no, it can't be that same guy because he's pretty old now. I mean, he was pretty old at that time, so he's going to be probably dead by the time Phantoms came out. I um, don't know for a fact, um, which, you know, while we're talking about this, I'm still very aggravated that that doesn't have like a decent release of some sort because I really did enjoy that movie. Um, and you can't really find it anywhere. And I love that movie. Let's um, see here. I'm sad because I gave the DVD up because I thought there was going to be a Blu-ray coming out. There was no Blu-ray. Don't you hate that? Oh. Um, I don't see him listed. Yeah, it's uh, probably I, not him. There. It's just the voice that sounds like it. Yeah, I, I don't see him listed at all. Um, <clears throat> did you know Linnea Quigley's in that? <laughs> she's in what, Phantoms? Yeah, Woman in Room 204, uncredited. Oh, she's the, uh, but, okay, Peter O'Toole, Dr. Flight. There we go. Oh, yeah. Oh, I could see where you would. I, yeah. I could, that's a legit. Yeah. It's that but voice, yeah, man. I love Linnea Quigley. <laughs> she's awesome. I follow her on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, she's super sweet. I love her so much. Um, but yeah, so that's Frank. Did you ask me something else? I feel like I did. Oh, but no, I really want that to get like a decent release. I, I really do enjoy that movie. I know a lot of people like hate on it, but I had a lot of fun with it. I took Tyler to see that in the in the theater. We both saw that. Together. That was, yeah, that was one of my favorite movies of the late 90s. I mean, I watched it and watched it again and again. And I thought it was very fun. I think we're going to have to cover that because that's a 98 movie. Can we? I, where will I find it? I don't even know where I could find it to watch it. Oh, shit. Um, maybe Prime has it. Okay, we'll have to look into that. But yeah, I would love to cover it. I would love to actually own it. But yeah, I'd love to cover it. Yeah. Um, and then the last person, oddly enough, he's not in this very much. Uh, it's Sir Percy. He's like the third guy who kind of goes along with them when when we go to. Uh, and I lied. There's one more person I want to talk about. He's the third person that goes to the asylum with um, Colonel Kane and oh, Colonel. Uh, yeah, he's the guy Carlson. that pretty much does nothing. Yes. Anyway, yeah, he's the home <laughs> secretary, but basically it's Aubrey Morris. But this gentleman has had so much to do with like films that I love. I've got to talk about the guy. So he was in the the Night Caller from 65. He was in Goodbye Gemini um, with Jenny Augeter from American World from London, the nurse and from 70. Uh, he did a Hammer film, Blood from the Mummy's Tomb from 71. I love Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. He was in that. 
he was in The Wicker Man, which if you've not seen The Wicker Man, people, you don't know what you're missing. From Is that the Nicholas? Okay, that's not the Nicholas Cage. No, one. no, no. I'm sorry. I said you don't know what you're missing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was in The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, Smarter Brother from 75 with Gene Wilder. He did one episode of Tales from the Crypt in 1990. Did you ever see She-Creature from 2001? Uh, is that about the mermaid? Yeah. Uh, I think I did. Okay. He was in that. And then he just recently in 2015, he was an episode of it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, and I love it's always sunny, but I yeah. probably haven't gotten to that yet. But the reason I mentioned the last three gentlemen is they have such a huge, like rich history of appearing in really cool horror films. And that's so cool that Toby got them to be in this. And I'm sure that's not on accident. No, you got to have people with gravitas, you know? Yeah, I think that's really cool. And then, of course, the last person that we would be remiss not to talk about is um, Dr. Armstrong, who works at the asylum, and that's played by Patrick Stewart. Professor Xavier. (laughs) And and then, of course, Captain uh, Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah, Jean-Luc Picard, yeah. But a couple other things he did. He did Excalibur from uh, 1981, and then he was in Dune from 84, and he did Jeffrey, which is a a gay film from 95. Did you ever see Green Room from 2015? Um, Is that the one where he's he's like really paranoid about going outside and he's got monitors everywhere? Um, So he like watches his house and... Green Room's the one about the band and they get mixed up with like Nazis. Okay, no, I never saw that. It's incredibly violent, like really good. I was surprised he was in it. Uh, and he was also in Kristen Stewart's Charlie's Angels from 2019. Okay, I, I definitely did about. not see that. Okay, I, actually for Charlie's Angels, I thought it was pretty fun. I know everybody loves to hate on like, you know, reboots and remakes and extensions on old things, but I thought it was fun for what it was. All right, so here we go. That's what. That's all I wanted to say. Did you have anything you want to say about any of the actors that I missed or anything at all? Um. All right. Well, got a lot of stuff. Well, not a lot, but a few things about Matilda May. Oh, go for it, because I really had nothing on this actress, but I would love to have more on her. So yes. <laughs> okay. So funny thing is, like that in the in the early stages of shooting, like they waxed her pubic hair off completely, thinking it would make her look less nude. Um, it made her look worse because her vulva was exposed and it made her look even younger. So they had her grow, <laughs> they had her grow a landing strip of pubes. <laughs> Do you know who else that happened with? Oh, uh, who? Linnea in Return of the Living Dead. They thought that would actually help. And oh they, yeah, they like, shaved her, but then she was, uh, she had to wear that. It was worse. Yeah, she had to yeah. wear that cod piece. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. actually just real quick, in England at the time, males could not show their genitalia so the gentleman had to wear uh like flesh colored like, socks yeah flesh colored <laughs> socks exactly yeah exactly yeah uh, and so did you actually freeze frame that to see like <laughs> what they were wearing? um not this time but there was a time in younger mark's life where he tried to to freeze the vhs and it never worked quite well but, i'm yeah. sure yeah because you get yeah. those little lines in the screen and everything it, it was off there there was so much strategically placed things blocking the male vampire's genitals it became almost humorous (laughs) i know that's true and i was like why do they you know why are they so willing to show uh matilda may completely naked and then they're just like not 
letting these guys walk around with their junk. It's the double standard yeah. of everything, especially back in the eighties. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. now I don't want to, uh, infringe on what you're talking about, but do you have it? Like they were saying they actually had to set the cameras up and like on the, like the stairwell scenes because of certain angles, you could like really get inappropriate shots of the actress. So they had to really be careful how they frame things with her coming down the stairs. Yeah, because apparently the, the shadows had to be in the cut just the right way, because if it mm-hmm. didn't, you could basically see everything and that yeah. would give them an X rating. So they wanted to avoid that. Yeah, right. But there is <laughs> a supposed director's cut of Toby Hooper's film and it's got a lot of stuff like you were telling me. Yeah, supposedly there's the his cut, which Patrick Stewart like says is the best cut and they should have never messed with it. Um, and I think that one's actually over two hours or two hours and like some change. Um, but the, it apparently has more sex and more nudity in it. And it's probably so. got the full on Patrick Stewart, Steve rails back kiss. Oh, I believe it's more than just a kiss. Oh, really? Like no. I said on the, on the cut, I <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> oh, see you mess with me. I believe almost everything. <laughs> I Then you sir have chosen the wrong co-host to go on this journey with. <laughs> I've got to stop being so gullible. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want, I want like, uh, well, you know how they do it in the movies where they, 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 the sheet is like tucked underneath their arms to show their nude. Yeah. And they're like Patrick Stewart, like lights up two cigarettes and then gives one to Steve Rails back who's laying next to him on the bed. It's uh it's actually planes, trains, and automobiles. The director's cut. <laughs> <laughs> right. Where's your hand between the two pillows? Those aren't pillows. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Oh. All right. Um, I'm Boy, sorry, go ahead. People go are going to so, love us. I mean, we we got way off track. We did, but I, this is the joy of the show to me. Um, everyone else is like, it's not to me at all. <laughs> like, so too anyway, bad. Make your own show. Right, right. So, I'm sorry. I did not mean to derail your conversation about Miss May. Did you have more for, uh, for her? Mm, no, I think that was all that I had. Okay, all right. So, let's jump into Life Force, the, the film proper, shall we? Let's jump in that pool, that uh, All right. that milk bath. That milk bath. So we start with a space asteroid, which in the book was not Halley's Comet, apparently, but I did not read it. That's just what I garnered from, from the internet. But uh, in the film, it's Halley's Comet, and it is um, August 9th, 2.30 p.m. And we're filled in uh, on this information by a voiceover provided by John Larroquette. John Larroquette was on Night Court. Yeah, more I remember him. Mm-hmm, more importantly, he also provided the voiceover for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Wow. I so never it's a little, thought that. It's a little wink, wink, nod, nod to Toby's fans out there. Huh. Uh, so anyway, um, we're aboard the Churchill. It's a combination of a British and American crew. and. Uh, they are being, the the ship is being operated by a Nerva engine, which basically can simulate Earth's gravity and it's constant exhilaration is the reason that this is allowing the ship to have this effect on the crew. So they don't have to worry about like floating around or anything. So they spy, um, on their radar that there's an artificial object that's 150 miles long, um, and two miles high. And they find out the comet winds are basically blacking out any way for them to communicate with uh, Earth. 
So they, they're all their communications have been blocked off and they decide they're going to shut down the Nerva and they are going to actually uh, send four crew members to go aboard this craft that they've discovered, you know, basically like using the comet as camouflage. Yeah. And what do they call, um, like in the comet's wake, they called it the coma or something like that? Yes, uh-huh, exactly. I thought that was pretty cool because I'd never heard that before. No, that was pretty cool. Now, what I also I thought was pretty cool is, did you notice when the ship, the the Churchill, it opens to release the four astronauts into space? It looks like a coffin. Did you notice that? I didn't. I actually thought they were entering the vampire ship right at that moment. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. All right. So outside. Now, this will I, this is just me reading into it. It's very, very green. And they mentioned the surface is badly pitted and it looks like a derelict ship, but it's very green. Mm -hmm. And then they go inside and it's very, very red. Yeah. The like on the color outside, choices. Oh, go ahead. Oh, on the outside, I wanted to say it looked kind of like a living ship. Yes. Oh, yes. Very much so. But the color choices reminded me of something like Mario Bava, the director would have done, like with severe red, severe uh greens that kind of thing it seemed very mario mario baba to me but that's neither here nor there i just want to throw it out there so basically one of them mentions that once they're in the ship it almost looks like a giant artery and it feels very organic yeah and see seeing this part as they're walking through here it made me think of you and like when we were doing <laughs> when we were doing galaxy of terror and you were talking about the buttholes and everything so I was like, when they said artery, Walt said <laughs> rectum. <laughs> uh, I didn't say rectum, but I had said um, so intestine. And so yeah. it's like, it, it did, it looked like intestinal, like an intestinal walkway or something. Now, did you get like a, a HR Geiger feel to it? Like the, the guy that designed the alien stuff? Did you get kind of a feel? Hmm. No, not from this film. No. See, I did in this, only in this scene, some of the stuff in the background seemed very Geiger or Geiger, Geiger, Geiger to me. Um, I don't know. Just, just in that one scene, nothing else, but just that one scene. I'm like, this is kind of Geigery, Geigery to me. So on board, they realize that it is manned by thousands of giant bat occupants, but they're dead. <laughs> right. They're the, they're basically dust held together by like, the the grav the no gravity of the ship i guess mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and of course uh when they go to touch it it basically just it's desiccated and it crumbles yeah it breaks a finger of, right off yeah and they're assuming that the fluid has been lost to space but the uh carlson decides that he wants to um deploy one of the specimens back yeah and then he's like put it in a, a specimen bag. And I was like, that's not a specimen bag. That's a freaking net. Yeah. He wraps the whole thing in a net. Exactly. <laughs> Which I'm thinking. Wouldn't that like if it crumbled, the net's just gonna, it's just gonna and go through the net. Right. That's the same sentiment that I had. I was like, why would you do that when it, like any kind of pressure or exertion on it? Like if you pull it the wrong way, it's just going to yeah. crumble. Exactly. I'm right there with you, my friend. Now there are about like, we we see five crew member on board kind of like watching what they're doing on monitors, but we also see a shadow kind of pass over the glass they're looking, you know, through. And then you see this like tentacle thing kind of cross over as well. 
Yeah. And I thought that was a claw at first. Oh, yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, what it is, it's a giant basic, oh, like an umbrella structure, and it's enormous. Yeah. And it's not metallic, so it's more like organic again. And the um, it's... It's radar transparent so that it's it's really messing with any kind of like beams, you know, like um, transmission beams or anything like that. Yep. Making its way through, making a communication between the astronauts on board, the um, what would you call it? alien craft, making contact with the actual Churchill crew. Impossible. So they see this bright light and it's almost like beckoning the four astronauts inside the alien ship towards it. And the Carlson in particular is acting very odd. He's like, there's something there. And that's where they see like those three nude bodies. They're like perfectly preserved. Yeah. And it's and, like, uh, um, Sorry, I got I got off track for a moment. No, it's go like, for it. It's like um, the the female space vampire was kind of mm-hmm. calling to him through telepathy or something because he he was explaining that he feels very strange and it's like something has taken over him. Yeah, he's like, "What's wrong with me?" He's yeah. like, "Yeah, there's like clearly." But now the other one doesn't look so hot. The uh, Derbridge, he like Carlson's not looking bad he's just seeming like he's a little like uh confused but the other guy's looking physically unhealthy i think yeah he wasn't looking so hot yeah he does not look good so they mentioned that out of you know they find these three bodies they're like encased these like crystals you can like almost look like coffins you can see through them and everything um and they're saying that the the female looks perfect um and i'm like i wouldn't have noticed because i would have been (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> looking somewhere else. <laughs> um, and then we jump 30 days later. Yeah. And we're at the Great Britain Michel- Mission Control. Um, and that the, uh, realize that the radio's dead on the Churchill. But the orbit's stable, but it's slightly off just a little bit. And it appears that they set the course after they left the comet. And they're just kind of cruising on the course that was preset. Yeah. So they send out the Columbia. Um, and they are going to make a soft dock landing with the ship, with the returning ship. And we get four U.S. Um, men entering. It's completely dark inside. It's like black and charred. And the ship looked like it's almost completely gutted. Yeah, realize, not only that, but it, it was like there was a bunch of dust in the air or some kind oh, of yeah. pollen. I think it was ash from the fire, I think is what that was supposed to be. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was like, I'm why thinking, is it so dusty in space? Yeah, I think that's what it is, because they mentioned there was a fire. Because at first I'm like, yeah, I was kind of right there with you, but I, I'm assuming it was ash and stuff from the, the fire going out. Uh, then we get that first jump scare, for me at least. And when that corpse kind of floats by and they realize that the crew is all dead. <laughs> you um, see like just a bunch of desiccated corpses. Oh know? yeah. Yeah. Um, and they retrieve the tape, the internal tape. Uh, and then they find the caskets with the three nudes that are just fine. Like there's no damage to the caskets whatsoever. Yeah. They're like, let's take them home. Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, which they do. Um, and then we see that kind of comet with the, with big Ben. The, the clock tower 
And then they're asking, you know, have you opened the, the girl's casket yet? And they're like, no, not yet. Um, and they want to do a dissection of it if they're dead, if they really are dead. And they're debating, you know, how do you tell if an alien's dead or not? <laughs> so the uh, office is complete with six like monitor screens. And on one of them, we see the autopsy table with the girl laying on it. And you're also hearing the news. Um, and they're saying that people have kind of descended uh, outdoor at Greenwich and they're watching the comet. Uh, and Latin comet means evil star. And they're not sure if the crew is dead or alive because they haven't been fed that information yet. And they're, you know, the bodies are so charred and desiccated that it's even hard to tell how many are on board. Yeah. So in the operating room, we get the guard and he's entering the room with our nude female vampire on the table. And she's got her little green sheet over her. And this is when her eyes pop open and then she sits up and her ta- her uh, sheet falls away. <laughs> but the man's like transfixed. He like it's. Yeah. He's... Well, like, you know, in vampire lore, you know, they like look at you and then you're just like under their control. It's almost like that kind of thing. I mean, it doesn't help that her eyes look like hypnotic circles because they they got right. that little spiral in them. <laughs> I'm actually proud of you that you were looking at her eyes. <laughs> um, and then he, because t- he's got this breathing apparatus on and she like actually removes that and she kisses him. And that's when the lights start to flicker and we get these like blue swirls overhead and everything. Yeah. She's just sucking the life out of him. Right. Exactly. And the gentleman watching, um, on the monitors sees this going on. That's Dr. Bukowski. And he runs down to like prevent this from, you know, continuing. So he's running down there. um, And as he runs in there, he basically catches the man, but the man's been drained of his life force. And the nude woman is kind of like hidden in the corner. And then she comes towards our doctor and she's like, use my body. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then at this point our other doctor uh, dr falada has been watching this as well and then he comes in there kind of in the nick of time because she doesn't have a chance to completely suck the life force from dr B- uh, bukowski he's kind of on the floor a little bit shaken but yeah. she's already made her way out and he's like damn it man those are space vampires you're going to get an std <laughs> exactly um so we see her um uh climbing this dark staircase we see her nude shadow and she kind of passes like over this the nude shadow kind of passes the security guard and he phones it in yeah then what's we interesting the other- is the like you see all you see in the shadow is just boobs right <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> right <laughs> right he knows the audience that he's pandering to. yeah right. um then on a lower level, we get the two night guards and they think he's just joking about it until she like actually ascends the stairs with the original guard that made the phone call kind of like following behind her. Yeah. He's like, I, I don't want to get too close to this crazy naked lady. Mm-hmm. And then by then the other two doctors have gotten the phone call about where she is. Well, she raises her hand and that blue glow kind of comes out. And the first guard that kind of comes towards her gets like almost like physically, how would you say it? physically choked, but. Yeah, her like hands she were placed on him. Right, like she was using the force or something. Exactly, right, exactly. And the other one gets blasted back. So the other one that was following her pretty much just lets her go, and she blasts her way out 
of the research center and just walks completely out into the night. Yeah, she had to have rubber soles glued to her feet so she could actually walk through all that broken glass. That's so funny that you say that because in movies like this or where they're like barefoot running through the woods and stuff, I always think that's got to be murder on your feet. I always feel sorry when I see like thespians that have to do that. Yeah. So that's good. Like I would think, you know, just uh, especially like in Die Hard when they were shooting at the glass and Bruce Willis was barefoot and everything. Right. Exactly. Oh, man. I was like, I can't I can't watch this. This is terrible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, Now, this is a big budget film. I always worry more about like those little independent ones because I'm like, you probably don't have the rubber soles to put on these actors' feet. They're really just running around out in those like thorn bushes and stuff. Yeah, they're probably getting scraped up pretty bad. Yeah. Well, so outside, um, they're getting everyone to clear the area. There's, you know, no photos are taken. And this is where we're introduced uh, to Colin Kane from SAS. And we have. the uh, I'm sorry, the, the gentleman's name throws me so much. Dr. Bukowski is showing him the corpse of the man whose life was sucked from him. Dr. Bukaki. Right. <laughs> um, and then Kane is kind of questioning him. He's like, how were you overpowered? And he's like, it was like an overwhelming sexuality. He, um, and he's like, is it the woman from the Churchill? And he's like, yes. And she spoke English. And he was also saying the tapes on board were erased. So they have no way of knowing what actually happened on board. And the number of the charred bodies make it hard to tell, um, you know, who we're dealing with as far as the number, what actually happened. Um, And the only thing untouched in the bay were the actual like see-through caskets that contained the three bodies that they brought back to the research center. Right. Um. And they haven't done an autopsy on the guard yet. And they ask, what about the two other nude men that were brought back as well? And I'm thinking, yeah, what about the two nude men? (laughs) They just forgot about those guys. (laughs) I did not. Um, So then he kind of talks to uh, Dr. Falada and he's more interested in like what happens after death. You know, is life force, is it conserved after death? Um, you know, did the girl, she drain the energy from the guard and, and, and then she attempted to drain some more from the other doctor. Mm. Uh, and then he goes into this kind of spiel that we're all like vampires in, in our own sorts of ways. And that this woman is totally dangerous and she's got to be stopped. Yeah. What's strange, <clears throat> what's strange is like, if she's only taking the soul or the life force out of him, how does it leave the body so desiccated? Like it was drained of all fluid and everything else that, that's what I couldn't come to terms with. I guess it's almost like it's as essential as your blood, like your life. For- and to me, this is how I'm taking it. Your life force. It, 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 okay. So now how do I explain all this? So, so it like it, keeps all the fluids and everything just uh, making you look the way that you look. And otherwise you would just look like a dried up desiccated corpse. Yeah, I think it's part of your existence. It's part of what makes you human. Okay. It's part of what keeps you alive. In my mind. Huh. Um, it's just it's just as as integral as all the physical things, except it's not physical, it's spiritual. Okay. I can I can see that. Is that making any sense? Yeah, that is. So it's all like right. it's kind of the defining force that keeps everything, you know, where it's supposed to be and keeps it going. And without that, you're just a shell of yourself. Aha, gotcha. 
Okay. Which technically I really should just look like one of those corpses because I really don't have a life for it. <laughs> Where's <Anyway>. your soul? <laughs> I'm just a soulless <laughs> podcaster. <laughs> um, <laughs> so then we get the scene where we actually have, at first the guard has his back towards the two men in their casing. Um, which I want to point this out. I don't know why, but in my mind, if you had two males and one female, I, in my mind, you would have done an autopsy on one of the males because you had two of them. Right. Yeah. Just in my mind. Cause I'm like, I would have kept like a male and a female and gotten my autopsy going on one of the males. I don't know why I just, that's the way my mind works. Um, but clearly this was, you know, done for the audience and everything. But like in theory, I really do think scientifically they would have gone with one of the males first. I just think so. Well, actually, anyway. I think they. I mean, I'm no scientist by any means, but if they've got two males and one female, you would think that they would perform an autopsy on both the male and the female and just leave the other male, you know, to do to kind of just rot because they've already got a male and a female to see right. what their yeah. internals are like. Yes. Yeah. I yes. Yeah. Anyway, okay, but they didn't ask us, Rob, so what do we <laughs> <No>. know? <laughs> so <laughs> so the one guard turns to look at the caskets and then the other guard of course touches them on the shoulder giving us another jump scare at least for me. Um <laughs> and they're talking about, you know, do you really think that they're alive blah blah blah. Well, then all of a sudden this like blast breaks the glass that's like separating, you know, the guards from the caskets and they kind of like retreat to make a stand. So they've got their guns and everything. Then it becomes abundantly clear that these nude space vampire men are impervious to the gunfire blast. Yeah. So they throw a bomb <laughs> and they actually kind of destroy them that way. That's weird because it's like, okay, if they riddled these creatures with bullets, but yet a grenade is going to do something that bullets could not do, like tons right. of bullets. Yeah. Well, I guess it just blew them up where the bullets wouldn't do that, but this just Bloom to smithereens, I'm hmm. assuming. So anyway, so the commotion arouses the uh, attention of Colonel Kane and Dr. Falata to arrive. So now, um, they're going to perform an autopsy on our guard that had the misfortune of the soul kiss with our female vampire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so as they go to do this, his eyes open and I put down scream, but it's really not almost it's a scream isn't really the right way to describe it. But I don't know how to describe the noise that's coming emanating from him. Yeah, it was weird. It was almost like that uh, inhuman scream from the thing where. Yeah, right. It's right. It's not human. It's it's just odd. Yeah. But anyway, so he sits up and he like has his arms out like he's beckoning him. And like a moron, the doctor approaches. He's like, come here, give me a hug. <laughs> Right. And then, of course, he sucks out his life force. And then I have a big, big letters. Let's watch because no one does a damn thing to save this man. No, they're just kind of taken aback. They're like, why is a corpse suddenly getting up? and Bleh. Right. Because you may have a different stance on this, but it really does look like if you just attempted to separate them, it might stop what's going on. Yeah. Because it didn't seem like he had a death grip on the guy. No, and how strong could they be? Uh, like, Right. They look very fragile, don't they? Yeah, they do. Well, anyway, the corpse is rejuvenated, and they're all shocked. And then the uh, the other doctor that he, like, sucked the life force out looks awful. 
Um, and Dr. Falada is basically like, we've got to get this guy to an isolation cell quickly. Yeah. Um, and he realizes it can be passed on. Yeah. Cause when, um, when the guy who got sucked by the girl, oh, that did not sound good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the first guy to, to have his soul sucked out by the girl, mm -hmm. that still did not sound good. Anyway, um, it's almost like when he returned back to life, he was no longer human because he didn't know where he was. He was kind of uh, broken up about what he had done, but also not very broken up. And he, he was almost incapable of speech even. And it was very quick. Like at first he was like, oh, I'm better now. And he was like, oh, I realized what I did. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, I need to, to get out of here and like do this again. Yeah. <laughs> like very in very quick succession, like all these things like flash through his head really fast. Um, now, at this time, they want to put the new body in a different cell. And then Colonel Kane realizes that he wants the other pieces of the two vampires blown up, collected in case something would happen. Right. Because then they get word that a naked woman was found in Hyde Park, at, but it's not her. Right. It's, it's not. A, uh, it's not the one that escaped. Yeah, because two pervy boys <laughs> saw her with a dark haired woman and they thought that they might get on, on a little lesbian action. So they decided to sneak and peek. Uh, and that's when they discovered the one girl with her life essence removed from her body. Mm, they got more than they bargained for that. Mm -hmm. and, and now Falada also wants this body sent back as well. And then they come to the realization that our space vampire isn't going to be as easy to catch because she now has clothes because this woman is left nude. So she stole the clothes from her victim. So, um, yeah, we're at the center <laughs> and the guard is freaking out because it's exactly two hours since our first victim has been has been um what would you say uh attacked, infected i guess yeah attacked infected. yeah and they, they oh. set the time that it, it it's exactly two hours that in the time that it takes when you get soul sucked that to return back as a like a space vampire i guess mm -hmm. <laughs> you know it, it takes two hours right and so he's basically in a it looks like for all intents and purposes to me like a storage cage for like medical supplies. It's not like something official. Mm -hmm. It's just like, like wiring, like, like he could poke his little fingers through and wiggle them and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. He could, he could grab somebody if he wanted to. Exactly. So they figured out that he's like Jonesing for a new energy transfusion and he doesn't get it. And he basically just, loses life again and this is where Falada kind of has this pole and he pokes a hole and just his rib cage just basically chips away and there's nothing but dust inside yeah space dust mm -hmm. but then our pathologist that got attacked needs feeding as well and he charges at his cage and just basically like <laughs> hits it and just becomes dust it's like Ugh. dust explosion yeah 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 exactly and then they realize that the dark uh the uh, dark the Park victim, the female, is going to be next in about one hour. Yeah, so they make sure to check on her. So they've got her uh, tied to a table for monitoring. Uh, she's strapped down. She awakens. And she looks, this is where we talked about earlier, she looks just like, to me, the uh, female zombie from Return of the Living Dead. I mean, she, for all intents and purposes, could be the same 
creature design. Yeah, that's because it does look like her. Like if they had a, cut her in half and just left her as a torso and allowed right. her to like uh, sit up on the table or something. Mm-hmm. The pain she's got her, of being right, dead. It, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But she's got like those little electrodes that's attached to the monitor and everything, and they start to short out. Yeah, and she's kind of like doing a little writhing and screaming, and then she eventually just explodes and turns into dust. Yeah, but, it's weird because when the light show came out, you could actually see like the soul leaving her body, I guess. Yes, yes. Um, and they're mentioning that so far there's been no other further reports. And they still can't figure out how exactly the Churchill acquired these vampires, these space people. So now we're in Texas and something has arrived through the Earth's atmosphere. And we're at the Walter Reed Army Hospital, where they have actually brought Colonel Tom Carlson uh, to be monitored because he's arrived in a little escape shuttle. Um, And they have brought him to meet um, the military experts for questioning, and they want to know what happened on the Churchill. And he's like, you're not going to believe me. And they're like, "Mm, try us. We're we're probably going to believe anything you you, you spill, (laughs) beans you have to spill. So he says, basically, there were three bodies that survived. A woman escaped and uh, she killed three. So she's killed three so far. They're kind of filling him in on it. And then uh, the colonel recounts that uh, the story from the beginning. Uh, there was 9,000 miles of Haley Comet. And he talks about the the tail of the comet was heating up and that um, uh, that one of them um, started to feel drained. And that was Dedridge while Carlson himself was starting to feel invigorated and that uh, yeah. one by one, the crew began to die. Uh, and they show, and this is, they show this, that uh, the first one was Rawlings and he was the first one to kind of like, kind of almost go crazy. And he, he would complain of feeling weak and they didn't feel like himself and that he, and I'm using little air quotes, he destroyed the equipment on board. And then the next day they found him drained. And then the rest of the crew eventually died the same way. And somehow Carlson held held out and he was the only one that made it out alive. And he decided it was just a matter of will and that somehow the girl may have had something to do with that. Uh, he Because he doesn't remember exactly mm-hmm. why he was spared. And at yeah, this point, they're not filling us in on any reason why he would have been yeah, spared. Yeah, this is his story. He's sticking to it. <laughs> yep. Well, he sees that there's a, you know, he's getting the view out of the observation window that they're coming. He's quickly approaching the Earth's orbit and he couldn't expose the world to what they had brought back. So he thought it would be best to prepare the ship to be torched and just, you know, burn the bat carcass and everything else inside. And then he jettisons it off in an escape shuttle. And he said it was the hardest thing he'd ever done. And of course, they're like, oh, we understand. He's like, no, you don't. I mean, leaving her. That was the hardest <laughs> thing he'd ever done. Yeah, because he was in love. And they decide, uh, Falada decides it would be best to let Carlson get some sleep after this whole ordeal he's been through. So and then we get Carlson sleeping okay, very restlessly. Yep. This in is his the bed. nightmare or the, mm-hmm. the erotic nightmare, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Um, but they've actually, uh, we see Colonel Kane watching on a monitor. And they talk about uh, there's like a needle-like shape approaching the Earth's orbit. So basically what they're talking about is what Carlson had experienced up in space. Now that's approaching that like spacecraft or however you want to call it is actually approaching our orbit as well. Mm -hmm. So what you're talking about, what you're referring to is a nightmare that Carlson's been having. 
I kind of like this because they actually do mix in a bit of the gothic with this updated space story in the nightmare. Yeah. Um, Cause she's in uh she's in a church at that time, I guess. Yeah. Like a very gothic church. Like there's mm-hmm. the wrought iron crosses around them and everything. The fence, uh, uh, like fencing, like gate wise, it looks like wrought iron with the little crucifixes at the top and stuff. And she's yeah. got that like lace covering and everything. <laughs> and then she throws it off. <laughs> yeah. Of course she's topless. Yep. Um, and then he becomes topless as well. Um, and then this is where he's like, you're giving me your life. And she's like, you're taking it. Uh, and then we get like the, there's red lights and the thunder and there's lightning and then they're writhing all over the place. And the music is like really over the top in this scene, I think. Yeah, it is. It's and there's intense. weird noises, like kind of like animalistic kind of, I don't know, just really weird noises. And then she's like, you're dreaming. And he's like, you're taking too much of me. <laughs> Us. And then. He wakes up, he's all sweaty, and he starts screaming. And that's when Falada's is like, it was just a dream. And he's like, no, she visited me in a dream. And he's Carlson. And he's like, you know, she's got mental contact, you know, with him, with me. And so Falada decides that he wants to try hypnotizing him in the morning once he's kind of calmed down some. Because much like in vampires, they're suspecting that he has some sort of mental link with this woman and they're going to use it to their benefit to find out where she is before she can continue this killing spree she's on. Oh yes. Cause she's not a female even a version spree. of Valak. Right. Not even a killing spree, but now she's just almost kind of like, she's just taking a little bit of, of people is what she's doing now. She's yeah. not leaving corpses anymore. But anyway, we'll get there. Okay. So in the morning they have this hypnotism session and they realize that she's been speaking to Carlson through her through his dreams. And Carlson reveals that he feels very close to her and that his mind is no longer his own. But Falada is feeling that it works both ways, that this mental connection, like he's connected to her, but then she's also connected to him and they can kind of, um, what's the word I want? Mm, anyway, they can use that to their benefit. That's not the word I wanted. But. Anyway, so. Then with this connection, he gets this image that she's walking and she's using a new body and that she's looking for a healthy man, but she's not going to kill him. She just wants to draw a little energy from him. Yeah. Then he gets the vibe that the girl's name is Ellen, but it's not just Ellen. It's also Ellen coexisting with the vampire in the same body. Then through the vision, he sees that Ellen is spying on a man working on a car and cars. Carlson's able to get the make of the car, the color of the car, and actually pretty close to the license number. It's off by a number or two, but enough that they can do a check on it. Yeah. Then he sees that the driver is actually giving the woman a ride and they're being all flirtatious. And, uh, oh, and this is where like, it gets spicy. <laughs> right. Yeah. She's kind of like lifting her skirt and the man's driving and kind of touching her inner thigh. But then a car horn snaps Carlson out of the trance. Yep. So Colonel King calls in the info and they try to locate the man and the woman. So this is when Falada figures out that the vampire is using a new method of feeding. And he almost seems like he admires her creativity and cunning in this new aspect of her way of kind of eluding uh, being caught. Yeah. And he also posits that she can, leave her body, but she must hide her original body 
elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, much like a lot of vampires, well, vampires don't leave their bodies, but apparently they carry things with them that's like they're it's like where they're from or something like that. Well, yeah, and then the other doctor, Doctor uh, Bukowski, is saying that it's almost like vampires of legends that they have to carry the earth with them. And oh, along with yeah, their coffins. Yep, that's what I meant. <laughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I oh get- no, you're fine. No, no, you're fine. Um, so then our next scene, there's the observation of the craft approaching the earth and you see the umbrella open up like before when it blocked the communication, uh, between the ship and the astronauts on the alien ship. Yeah. And this time it looks like a huge ass satellite dish. Right. With, with like prongs or something coming off the edges of it. Yeah. Like a bat wing satellite dish. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Rob. Yes, exactly. But yes, very good. Oh my gosh. Yes. That was exactly what I wanted. That was perfect. (laughs) Um, So Falada all of a sudden has a sword. Yeah. Where did he get that from? I don't know. (laughs) I'm, I'm assuming like Amazon. Amazon. (laughs) Because it got there really fast. Um, And he's also talking about he wants skin sample, skin tissue samples that he had requested from earlier, I guess. And we have him in this lab setting and he's interrupted by this soldier who's rather creepy looking. Yeah. Mm hmm. And I was like, that soldier's infected. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. So then it's uh, come to be revealed that Ellen is a nurse and she works for an asylum for the criminally insane. Of course she does. (laughs) Uh, Perfect setting. Exactly. So the uh, director of the uh, Sane Asylum is Dr. Armstrong, of course, played by uh, Patrick Stewart. And he greets um, Colonel Carlson and Colonel Kane. And then they're also accompanied by Sir Percy, who is home home secretary. Uh, So they all three are on board the helicopter. They get off and they're met by him. And... uh, uh, Dr. Armstrong leaves with uh, the three gentlemen. And I'm just going to do this now. Did you think he was acting odd then? Yeah, I thought he was acting pretty weird. Okay, he just acts a little suspicious of them, which makes me think he's acting suspiciously. <laughs> yeah. So he tells her that I guess the staff lives on the premises, which I wouldn't like that job right there. But anyway, so she lives in like an apartment on the property of the asylum. And he actually allows the two men to go speak with her alone, even though he says that he thinks he should be privy to the conversation. They assure him that like, they'll be fine. And so he goes off with Sir Percy back to the asylum, Mm -hmm. presumably to his office to discuss things with him. So Ellen reluctantly allows them into her apartment, which I of course would be like, well, If you're under the assumption that she's just her, I'd be reluctant. But then with the assumption that she's part vampire woman, she's going to be very hesitant to re- to let Carlson and Kane into her apartment. But anyway, she lets them in. Immediately, <laughs> Carlson grabs her by the hand and then slaps her because he realizes that he's getting the vibe that she's the vampire. <laughs> that's That's hilarious. I got Sean Connery vibes from that. <laughs> well, and then he's like, well, it's okay because the woman's a masochist. And he's like, you know, to to um, Kane, he's like, do you want to leave? And he's like, oh, no, I'm a voyeur, so I'll stay for this. <laughs> I'm like, well, this is getting really weird very quickly. We just turned down a dark alleyway here. Yeah. Uh, yes. So 
you know, Carlson's roughing her up. And then he's like, you know, are you there? He's like, you've got, you've got to let go now. And he gives her a kiss and she faints. So Carlson carries her to the, uh, carries her to the bed and he gets, um, the, the, the physical description of the two men from her. And then they realize that one of them is a large man. He's fat. He's got a birthmark. And he's a child molester and he's in uh, solitary confinement. His name is Sykes. So they go back to Dr. Armstrong, who agrees to allow him to see this man. But he's saying that, you know, he's got the IQ of a child of four. He doesn't really understand what, you know, good this is going to do. And he really thinks that he should check on this. But they're like, it's a matter of national security. You've got to trust us with this. And that they want to um, hypnotize him. So they need uh, pen, uh, pentath- pen, help me. Pentothal and something else. Thank um, you to do this. So Armstrong agrees. So they enter the man's cell, the padded cell, and Sykes is sleeping in the straitjacket. Well, it was a actually, bait and switch. Right. So actually, really, what it was is a ruse to actually sedate dr armstrong so carlson drags arms or uh, grabs armstrong from behind and they inject him with the pen pen help me with the drug i'm just gonna say drug because yeah. i can't say that pentothal that doesn't sound right is that right pentothal? i think it's pentothal yeah with uh pentothal. with some other um yeah thing in it to basically sedate him to put him into a hypnotic state yeah. because that's the oh, only way he, they can deal with this female vampire. And he inhuman screams now. When, when right. He yes. Injected. Yeah. So now he's pinned to the floor and he starts to convulse about and they put him in a wheelchair and then they bring him to the surgery suite. And then Carlson uh, saw into the doctor's mind when he touched him earlier. So mm-hmm. he knew what was kind of going on. So she's trapped inside and Carlson wants more, um, uh, more uh hypnosis drug he demands three doses and sir percy's like freaking out um because he's aware you're, they're going to kill this yeah guy. he's like are you sure he can handle three doses and it's like mm-hmm. the, and the alien Carlson, inside him can handle it but not the human exactly and like carlson's like if he slips out from under from underneath this she'll escape yeah so um armstrong's like you know she won't let me talk and he starts to scream and so carl pins him to the table and uh, he's like, what's holding you prisoner? And then so they bring in more penta, more penta, pen, help, more drug more is brought drugs. in. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Help me. Um, and then the woman's voice comes out. And she's like, there's no need for that. But <laughs> but Carlson interjects more anyway. Yeah. And he's like, can you still hear me? And Sir Percy's like really freaking out. And the woman's like, Carlson, be with me. I love you. But this is all coming out of like. <laughs> it's on the card which is really weird or dr xavier however you want to go with it and it's um, funny because it flashes between patrick stewart and then it goes back to matilda may and you know yeah, back it's and forth. also very weird and then sometimes it's like her voice coming out of patrick stewart it's just <laughs> like very very odd it's very fun it's twisted um, and you know carlson's like grilling her he's like you know why are you so perfect what are you and um uh then she reveals she's like, you know, she took her form from Carlson's mind. She took her voice from his mind. So she's basically his ideal of like a perfect female specimen. Yeah. And, and also when- that she 
Oh, wait, this comes later. Sorry. Uh, I'm yeah, because this is when basically Carlson just bitch slaps Picard. <laughs> <laughs> and then the woman appears and she's like, touch me, Carlson. Get out of my head. <laughs> yeah. And then Dr. Dr. Armstrong is back and then it's the woman and then Carlson's like, let me go. And this blue light show starts and then it's like swirling lights above him, much like before. Yeah. <clears throat> when she did the life essence suck from the guard. And you know, at that point, I thought she made her escape with with all that blue light and stuff, right? Know, floating around. And, and then we got Carlson shaking with Armstrong on the, you know, still on the table, and there's a whirlwind of debris because now it looks like a Carol Ann's bedroom from Poltergeist. Yeah, scene from Poltergeist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, then while this is going on, Colonel Kane comes up with a two fisted double dose of the uh, drug injection, just jabs it into Carlson's neck. Holy shit. <laughs> And then things stop, and then Carlson says it's already spreading. They didn't stop it in time. It's too late. And then Armstrong's neck has been broken, and Sir Percy's dead as well. So this is when they realize that there's other victims, and there's going to be a chain reaction. Yeah, it's like basically the zombie infection, but with uh, fancy lights and shit like that. Exactly. So the helicopter arrives to depart with um, two stretchers, one with Armstrong, one with Sir Percy's bodies on them. And in the interim, the SRC has contacted the colonels and they are saying that the two males didn't die. Um, that uh, that Falada has killed one of the transformed ones. Yeah, and basically from the vampire legend, but instead of a wooden stake, it had to be leaded iron. Mm-hmm. And it's not the heart. It's just two inches below the heart. <laughs> which is weird. So, yeah, which is weird. But yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, Carlson also reveals that um, he also believes that they visited the Earth before. This isn't their first go around. So they uh, have to um, go to the Citadel at Whitehead. So now we see in the helicopter that there's red goo, kind of like blood, I'm assuming, which is escaping out of both Armstrong's body and Percy's body. And it's kind of coagulating to make the form of the female vampire. And that was the coolest effect. It reminded me a lot of Prince of Darkness. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Yes, I could totally see that. Yeah, just like seeing that and then the blood taking the form of the vampire girl. I was like, holy shit, I forgot all about this scene. Right. And then she yells Carlson and then basically drops like liquidy and then to a pool of blood on the floor of the the copter. (laughs) I'm not cleaning that up. Well, no, but in the interim, the pilot who should have been doing his job is just looking back screaming. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, no. You're the one operating this machinery. Turn around and do your job, sir. <laughs> yeah, keep us in the air, please. So they kind of get things back on track. And this is when Carlson reveals to Colonel Kane that he actually destroyed the, the equipment on the Churchill so that no one would know that they had swapped energy. Yeah, and also that hoping that it would never reach earth and nobody would uh, hoping that the bodies were destroyed by the fire that he caused. 
Mm-hmm. And then Colonel Kane's like, snap out of it. She's not a woman. She's not human. <laughs> <laughs> She's a goddamn bat creature. Exactly. Well, then we also overhear that London's on the brink of the worst devastation since the Blitz and it's under martial law. Yeah. And this is where we get like a, a lot of fires and then that blue light show a little mm-hmm. bit of. Yeah. And there's just like all these like vamp- vampire, like in quote attacks and everything. <laughs> it's just like chaos. Which is just a bunch of uh, dehydrated people, basically. Exactly, exactly. And then the copter arrives and our two colonels depart. And then the military is removing the stretchers. And they go in to meet with the prime minister. And Miss Harrisham, his secretary, is there. And she's like, well, wait here. Let me announce your arrival. And then the prime minister comes out and he looks pretty bad. He's yeah, all he's sweaty, sweaty and everything. as fuck. Yeah. And he like, you know, he tells them to wait a minute that he needs to talk to his secretary a moment. And then we see kind of behind this like screen that he's basically attacking her. Yeah. He's sucking the life out of her. Yeah. And then the two of them realize that realize that the back one is like hitting the fan here and they've got to like book it out of there. Yep. <laughs> so they head off back to the copter and they're being pursued by all these people who have already military people who have already become infected. Yeah. <laughs> and the two of them get it, make it to the Make it to the bottom of the helicopter. I, I can't yeah. remember what that's called. Like the runners, basically, of the, the yeah. copter, that the landing runners. Yeah. And so one of them, like, goes to grab on, but his, his <laughs> hand, the skin on his hand slips, and so he falls that way. Yeah. And, and the then other the other guy. one, yeah, they shoot him with, like, a flare gun. And did he explode into dust when they shot him? I don't remember. I can't remember that you. now, but I thought he might have exploded into dust. But maybe I was just thinking that because I saw a bunch of vampires turning into dust before that. Yeah. And uh, they are lucky. I will say this. They're lucky that the pilot was still the pilot and they didn't take him over. Because to me, I would have thought that had been one of the first things they did. Right. Yeah. It's like yeah. when you're trying to take something over, you got to separate people. Exactly, exactly. But now they're under NATO control and they're headed back to Blackheath. Uh, and the copter lands and they've got this, me- the guy's got the megaphone. He's like, get away from the craft. It's under quarantine. Um, and the colonel's like, we're looking for Dr. Filato. Um, Not Dr. Felatio. That's a Black Christmas <laughs> reference. But anyway, um, and then <laughs> they, they're basically, they're saying, you know, we've got to hold you for two hours, you know, because that's what they figure out what the, that's what's happening with the plague. Well, these two, since they've come from their background and they know what's going on, they know more than the actual people who are trying to protect the the community from this plague. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've revealed that, like, they've totally isolated London and uh, they're about ready to do thermal nuclear sterilization, right, which, which is, is not going to be good for anybody. No, it's not the answer. It's definitely not. Not the answer. Um, and then... Carlson questions them, do they know anything more about the ship? And they're saying this in geostationary orbit and it's directly over London, which again, not good. <laughs> no. Um, and then Carlson notices like the blue lights and he's like, those are the human souls going up through the clouds into the ship. And the umbrella is acting like a collector of these souls, basically. Yeah. And is this where he talks about like how they know that the the girl, the vampire girl is still alive because the souls have to go through her in order to get up to the ship. 
Like she's not, the conduit or something. Yeah, not quite. That's coming up. I believe. Oh, okay. I um, just because, screwed it up. I'm sorry. Oh gosh, <laughs> no, you screwed nothing up. It's a <laughs> no, you're fine. It's a nude vampire movie. I think it's hard to screw things up. <laughs> um, and then now we have more chaos in London. And um this is this I should have just let you go because this is where the whole thing exactly what you said, exactly what you said that the male vampires collect the energy and they send it through her um, and that she's in the city. Um, and then well, the male will attack if he senses Carlson's presence. Um, and she wants her energy back that she gave to Carlson. Mm-hmm. Now, the they were blown up. When did they reform, I wonder? When did that all transpire? Oh, um, Dr. See, now I want to call him Fellatio. <laughs> yeah, right. Dr. Falada. Yes, Dr. Falada. He had spoken about that after he staked one of the uh, male vampires, or so he thought may have been the male vampires, is during the explosion, they escaped their bodies and jumped into um, two of the guards. Okay. So they are not in their original form now. They did what she did and they've entered someone else, correct? Right. Or at least that's what we're told. Okay, so they are okay. So I'm just trying to get this in my head. So she is somehow back in her original form, but they are not. Um, I think so. Yeah, but okay. Yeah, they they are not in their original forms. That or their bodies are either hidden somewhere or something like that. But they they took the form of the two guards after okay. you know, after they were blown up. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. So. Colonel Kane, uh, Colonel Kane starts to explain his plan, but during the interim, Carlson has already taken off, and Colonel Kane believes that he's headed back to the Space Research Center. Mm-hmm. So Colonel Kane commandeers a car to follow, and he crosses the river into chaos. Basically, it's just all Hades is broken loose over in London. It's crazy, man. There's just like all kinds of crap going down. Mm-hmm, exactly. So Carlson is being drawn by the vampire's voice. We see her eyes close up. And then we get that jump scare because he's riding in this Jeep and we get that arm through the Jeep window and he just like- Oh, the arm that the comes arm off. off, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but actually he's being drawn to the cathedral, whereas Colonel Kane believes he's headed to the research center. So they're kind of going separate ways. So Carlson arrives at the hot spot. And the cathedral basically surrounded by all these bodies, like just piled up bodies. Mm-hmm. Whereas the colonel arrives, uh, Colonel Kane arrives at the research center and is pretty much abandoned for the most part. But there he finds Dr. Falada. And I'm like, is he dead? What's going on? Well, he's asking, <laughs> you know, where is our other doctor at um, Bukowski? And um, then he's like, well, how did you survive? And this is where it gets really weird with Dr. Falada. Yeah, because he's sweating. Mm-hmm. And he's like, there's life after death. And we already know that's his his hang up. He's all into that anyway. And he's talking about mental transference between the vampires and the victims. And it's already dark and creepy where he's at. And I'm getting very uncomfortable. And I'm thinking, just leave Colonel Kane. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, Falada reveals that he knows exactly where she, um, where uh, the female vampire is, and he's getting closer to Colonel Kane, who actually fires a gun at him. And then 
Pilata starts to transform. He's like, here I go. And yeah. the blue light starts flying out of his back. <laughs> so it's like he was waiting for that. He was like, just, yes. just yeah. kill me so I can transfer my energy to wherever the hell it's being sucked up into space somewhere. Right. Well, then after all this, Colonel Kane retrieves the sword. Um, and then um, the male vampire turns to dust. And he goes to exit as the, like, the, I call them ghouls, as like the newly transformed people begin to approach him. Mm-hmm. So now we're down in the cathedral catacombs and everything's bathed in blue light. And Carlson sees our our woman vampire and she sits up on like this like tomb and he enters through the gate. And um, Carlson, he's like, I'm here now. Can we just end this madness? And the woman's like, it's always been intended that he find us and bring us back here to earth. Like it was like predestined for this to happen. And she stands up on top of the tombs. She's got little arms out raised, outstretched like upwards. Mm, oh and yeah. Then, and she's totally flashing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I didn't notice. At that notice. point. Yeah. And then outside there's more carnage and inside the cathedral, um, we just, you know, see more of what's going on. And we're back outside again with Colonel Kane. And uh, he's basically being chased uh, on foot and he's, running down these alleyways and stuff like that. And then like this wall of fire separates him from like the creatures chasing him, which I don't know how that happened really. Yeah. I didn't see anything blowing up. No, but anyway, that saves him. But of course the other exit is blocked by just this one, like ghoul vampire thing. And he shoots him in the head. And you would think the, all right, so the original vampires, they can get riddled with bullets, but like the transformed humans that became vampires, I guess bullets still work on them. Because I think they're humans. Is this correct? Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they're, they're, their original form was human, whereas the space vampires are space vampires. Okay, yeah, you make a good point there. I wasn't it, thinking that. Oh, I'm not trying to be, I mean, are, are you thinking that too? That that was my only way to wrap my head around. Yeah, this. I was trying to figure it out because that's like, okay, bullets didn't work on the, the original vampires, but I guess like the the transformed humans are weaker. Yeah, so. because I think you are human that's become infected, whereas the other ones are the original form, the yeah, original the, being. Yeah, they're like the the other they're space creatures, whatever the hell they yes, are. Yes, <laughs> yeah, right. And then we see this like blue life force basically hitting the subway tunnels and everything. And then all of a sudden these people are aflame. And then Colonel Kane actually sees the cathedral and he starts running at it with his sword. And this big ball of blue light like enters. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there's this male vampire on top of all the body heap. Yeah. And that's one of the original two vampires. So he does get his form back. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. So anyway, and he's got like, uh, he's like, was it much, it'll be much less terrifying for you if you just come to me. And the Colonel's <laughs> like, uh, here I come. And he stabs him with the sword. And then he and turns then, into his true form. Well, yeah. He screams and there's like red swirls instead of blue swirls. And then it's like that weird bat thing and it just explodes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess they look like the bat creatures originally. So is that what was on the ship before? Yeah, like the those hundreds of bat creatures that they were they took one as a sample. I guess that's what their original form was. So the casket really, in all intents and purposes, would have had three more of those bat things that were all dead just in those caskets. Right. If they since they have the power to enter your mind and kind of glean information from that and 
what uh, your ideals might look like. That's probably what they did with um, Dr. Not not Dr. Carlson. Colonel Carlson. (laughs) Yeah, Colonel Carlson. And maybe the crew, too, you know. So that's like, okay, we need to look like this. So Colonel Hicks would have seen Alec Baldwin. (laughs) Ryan Reynolds with a beard. Oh, and Tom Selleck. <laughs> what about Kurt Russell? <laughs> no, he would not. He, I mean, he's not high up on my list. And if it would have been Kurt Russell, it would have definitely been Kurt Russell from the thing with the beard. No, not Kurt Russell as Captain Ron. <laughs> no, 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 no. And then, and then Colonel Rob would have been like, why are all these naked men from the 80s? Except for Ryan Reynolds in these caskets. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the the three suddenly multiplied into 17. <laughs> right. Mark, what this are you is doing? So weird. Exactly. This is the weirdest thing ever. Why am I uncomfortable? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So just for fun, who would your three caskets contain? Oh, wow. Or is this too soon? Is this too quick? Yeah, that's too. I, I need time to think about this, man. So I'm thinking probably, well, I would have to say Brigitte Nielsen for you. Um, (laughs) I'll do Brigitte Nielsen, Brooke Shields, and uh, what is her name from Flashdance? Jennifer Beals. Jennifer Beals. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're moving on. You can answer this later. All right. Um, So now I'm hooked on the whole bat thing. So. I don't know. We'll talk about this later. Oh, anyway. So, so now the Colonel's inside and he runs toward the blue light shaft, which is coming up from the floor and he's looking down and he sees that Carlson and the nude vampire now kissing Mm -hmm. and the vampire saying, you're one of us to Carlson. And like, she's like, be with me. And then I wrote down that Colonel, Colonel Kane is a cock blocker, (laughs) but he can't get Carlson's attention because he's like yelling down at him. But like now, like, Carlson's all enthralled with this female vampire and their passionate, passionate uh, life force kiss they're sharing. Well, Kane like throws the sword down. Carlson like somehow like catches it because before it looked like there was a lot of space between them, but then it seems like Carlson just like reaches up and grabs it. But anyway, and then he impales the female through her back, but drives it through her stomach into his stomach and out his back. And then he is basically shish kebab together with the female vampire. The whole new the meaning red light to swirl. We get a light show. I'm sorry. What I said that gave a whole new meaning to maximum penetration. Right. Exactly. Um, and then there's like this explosion, and then the two like nude people rocket upward into the sky towards the craft, and Colonel Kane just watches from below, and then blue lights like pulsate through the craft, like undulate through it, and then it approaches the comet's trail, and that's the end of the film. Yeah, and I'd like to think that. Um, excuse me i'm gonna have to edit that but as the um after he did the impaling and and then the red lights and stuff and there are two i believe that they their two souls were entwined when they shot back up to the ship because um she did she really did love him and he loved her but it's like i've got to save the human race so it's like you know we're gonna have to i'm gonna have to sacrifice you and myself along with it dude you love a space vampire bat. 
She looks like a woman, but she, <laughs> you are making love to that bat thing that you broke a chunk off of, dude. Yeah. Let's be real. <laughs> but now, their, soul ended coming- up, their souls ended up back in the ship. And it's like they were um, translucent, naked um, in their, not their original forms, but the forms that we know them as. So that, that's what I found really strange. Yeah, I say this as I have my arms and legs completely wrapped around Ryan Reynolds as we float back up into space, too, <laughs> knowing full well he's a bat. <laughs> oh, it's like, I don't so, care as long as you're as long as your meats, meat suit looks good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, just real quick, I've got to go back to this. So what I wonder what happened on the actual ship that belonged to the bat people that they were dead. Why were some of them encased? I'd like they- to think that they, the three that were encased were the alphas and the others were just kind of uh cannon fodder. And, you know, they, okay, they're starving. They have no, no way to get to like, maybe they're, maybe their ship, crashed into something because it said it was in the beginning, it said it was pitted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking that like for survival's sake, only like the master vampire needs to survive. And like the woman was one of the masters maybe or okay. the, the higher ups. And so like all those other uh, bat things were like, you know, just starving and feeding on each other. And then they finally just turned into dust. And uh, left those three encased in kind of a stasis to be found by some human or whatever race and, you know, get into their mind and turn into what they want to see. You know, that's just my speculation on it. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Huh. Yeah, I'm just I love that. That's why I ask. I just I find it very interesting. Hmm. I don't know. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, so, Rob, did you enjoy the movie? Absolutely. Okay. Um, would you recommend it? Oh, yes, definitely. I'd recommend it to listeners of this show. I'd recommend it to pretty much if somebody asked me like, to write them a list of movie recommendations, like sci-fi horror, I'd be like, yeah, this, this would be definitely near the top of that list. Or, or um, that really niche uh group of gynecologist horror fans. <laughs> if you like looking at Volva, yeah. <laughs> um, no. Um, I love it. I loved it then. I love it now. Um, I'm a huge Toby Hooper fan. I really am. I love his stuff. And I think this one, see, this is the one that I hold up when people argue he had nothing to do with poltergeist as far as the director. Because mm. I'm like, look at this and look at poltergeist. Right. Look at the elements of it. I mean, it wasn't all Spielberg. Definitely Spielberg left his fingerprints on it, but yeah, there's a lot that Toby did too. Yeah. I just, I just think it's unfair to totally discount Toby's involvement in Poltergeist as far as being a director. Mm -hmm. But anyway, and um, would I recommend it? Oh my gosh, wholeheartedly. Um, It's fun. I think for as long as the film is, I think it goes very quickly. Oh, um, it does. It's it's kind of like rapid fire from one scene to the next. Yeah, it really does pretty much start. Now, um, the uh, his version, I think, was over two hours, but I think the most of the versions you're going to get are like a like an hour and 
40 minutes, an hour and 50 something minutes, something like that. Um, but it goes super fast. I think it, it, it really does go very quickly. It's a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it progresses very well. Um, yeah, I have no issue recommending this to anybody. Sci-fi fans, horror fans. Um, it's got your action in there. I think, I think the cast is really good. Yeah. Um, they work well together. They do work well together. I, I really have no negatives about, well, I do, but mine's petty. Um, <laughs> your I negatives want, are that the, the men had to wear socks on their damn those cock socks <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna have that detract from the film but no i really had fun with it i really did i i it makes me sad um because i think it, i believe he passed away in 2017 that toby's still not around because i would like to have seen way more stuff from him i i just i really liked his vision of things uh what he brought to the to the horror genre as a director i just would would have liked to have seen him do more, but I have no issues recommending this one. Yeah. With, I guess with a lot of the movies that we cover, we really don't have too many issues recommending. I mean, there's a few caveats in there, of course, but. Right, right. Yeah. For the most No, part. I'm not, I'm not seeing any film that we have done where I'd be like, do not watch this at all, period. <laughs> there's, there's not been one that I felt that way. About. <laughs> <laughs> so not, not one yet. Yes, yeah, yes. Because we haven't covered virus. (laughs) Um, So coming up next will be without warning. Yes, I was going to ask about that, like, because I was a little lost. And then I opened my documents up and I was like, okay, yes, without warning is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Without warning. Now that one, uh, that may be something that if you're out there in listening land, you may not have seen or you've only heard about or whatever. I, this is my pick, of course, I recommend giving it a watch before the show because we'll do spoilers and everything, but I think you will be pleasantly surprised with it. I think. Yeah. And this will be the first time of me seeing it. Yay. <laughs> All right. So as far as getting in contact with us at Midnight Mass Creature Cast, uh, you can uh, touch base with me on Instagram at our Midnight Mass Creature Cast. Um, what's it called? Help me. I'm using the word. <laughs> Instagram. Account. Instagram account. Yeah. Account was the word I wanted. Account. Oh, account. Okay. Yep. And then Rob can always be reached at. Yeah. MMCCpod at gmail.com. Our inbox is looking a little dry. You've got to send us some uh, recommendations. Um, uh, shows. I can't think of the word. Yeah. Show notes. Or, I mean, what? let us know what you think of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I wanted to say. There we are. And, and the oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, also, like if you really want to show your support and help us out, uh, help us reach more listeners and more ears, you know, you can always recommend us to your friends and friends of your friends, but also leave us a review on iTunes or any other pod, uh, pod thing of your choice, pod platform. There we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, any listening uh, platform you choose. Yes, because that helps us out immensely. And I was going to add, let us know the three thespians that you would see nude in the caskets in outer space. Ah, yes. Who would be in your caskets? Exactly. For me, I've got um, Salma Hayek, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and uh, I I can't think of the third one, honestly. I'm at a loss. Maybe Tracy Lords. <laughs> oh, intro- oh, so we got Tracy Lords, Salma Hayek, and help me. Sarah Michelle Gellar. Sarah Michelle Gellar. 
now she's got a new werewolf show coming out. Did you see this? Who, Salma Hayek? No, Sarah Michelle. Oh, no, I didn't. Why did I yes. not know about this? Um, what is it called? Let's see. Let me see if I can look it up really quick. Um, I don't even know if it's out, out yet. Let me see. Wolfpack. Eight episodes. Ooh. Yes. A teenage boy and girl get their lives changed forever when a California wildfire awakens a terrifying supernatural creature. As the full moon rises, all teens come together to unravel the secret that connects them. And I believe it looks like she almost plays like a, like a sheriff or something. I love almost everything with her in it. So mm-hmm. I'm going to yeah. check this out. Yep. I don't believe I know anyone else in it. No one else looks familiar to me. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to figure out what it's on to see if you could watch it. I would love if all of the cast of Buffy, like not got together for a Buffy reunion, but did an entirely new show. Oh yeah. There you go. That would be pretty badass. One season, 2023. Hmm. How do I, Oh, Paramount plus. Okay. I don't think I have that, but I can definitely look into it. It says watch on Paramount plus with prime video channels. Ooh, so you got to pay through Prime, huh? Maybe, yes. And it looks like the first one uh, aired on January 26th. And the last one so far is March 16th. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I'm going to try to find that. And it looks like it may still be ongoing because it just says 2023 and then there's no end date. So the series may still be going or maybe a second season's coming out. That seems pretty cool, man. Too bad it's not coming on Netflix because, <laughs> I mean, Netflix is so easy to access. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see. Parents guide. I always go to the parents guide. Sex and nudity, moderate. Oh, my gosh. It says in the second episode, a guy is shown receiving. They have head. His buttocks are shown for a brief amount of time. A girl and guy are fantasizing about sleeping together. There, there is, okay, this, they're spelled like there, T-H-E-I-R, is making out. There is no nudity shown. So they've used the, the incorrect there both times, but there's no nudity shown. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad it's not Sarah Michelle Geller nude, you know? <laughs> a guy can just, dream. I just want to go in and check the correct the spelling. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's out there in the world for you and anyone else who loves Sarah Michelle, Sarah Michelle Geller and werewolves. Coolness. Wolfpack. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Paramount Plus. Yep. All right. Anyway, I made everyone's lives just a little bit better, I hope. You made but mine the cast a little bit is, better. Yeah, the cast looks very young. Yeah, it's like a teen part. show cast, I think. Yeah, it looks, they look very, very young. Yeah, I remember when we saw the, the trailer, I turned to Walt and I'm like, this looks like one of those teen shows that alienate me. <laughs> uh, another uh, Pretty White Kids with Problems TV show. Um, Let's see. Yeah, it looks like they kind of tried to throw some diversity in there. Like Hollywood diversity, like, yeah, you know, here's one or two, <laughs> shut up. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. But anyway, all right. So on that note, um. Thank you for joining us because the more the scarier in my book. 
Yeah. And uh, we will see you next time for Without Warning. Until then, stay spooky. Stay spooky.